You know, this week's been a tough week. A lot of things happening in our world that are, are, are not pretty. And so today we want to pray uh, for the world around us. We want to pray for what's happened in Minnesota, what's happened in Louisiana, how that sparked things around our country, and then obviously the tragedy, uh, horrible, horrific event in Dallas. Uh, Amy and I lived in Dallas for 11 years before coming down here, and so we actually know several people on the Dallas police force, and we're good friends with a guy that's on the SWAT team that responded to the shooting. I uh, haven't talked to him at all, but... Um, you know, involved in, in all of that mess. So if you guys will join with me, let's pray for our world and pray specifically on the healing that needs to take place for some of these things. Father, we are grateful for an amazing week at camp as we got to kind of retreat from the normal and get out of the mess and the politics and the violence and all of that mess. And we got to look at your mountains every day and just get away from it. But in the midst of all of that, we hear of the tragedy that still goes on around our country. We see people that are divided. We see people that are full of venom and hate. We see the manifestation of Satan's work evident in our communities, and we want to pray, God, for healing. I pray for social rec- uh, uh, reconciliation that would take place in, in our society around one another, our di- different races, our different beliefs, our different um, groups that are divided in this country, that, Father, you would do a great work and that your power would begin to bring healing And we want to pray for those families of those officers that were there doing the job to protect and to serve our community and were targeted. Uh, Father, it's got to be a tragic feeling. uh, And a way to to deal with the loss would be very catastrophic. So we pray for them today. God, help us to hear your word. Help us to see what you want for us through the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, we've had this legacy over the last three or four weeks of sharing our football story. So, my junior year, our team was in the playoffs, and it was a very, very crucial game, and it's super, super, super important. Uh, seven to six, we were up by one, but they were driving with just a few seconds to go in the game, and they get in field goal range, they could win this whole thing. And it's just, I'm going to abbreviate it a little bit, but just at the last second, they're going to try to pick up a few extra yards for the field goal. You know, running out, just see the pass coming, totally anticipate it, run out, grab the ball, tuck it under, fall down, we win. That's not me. It would be cool if that had been happening. Just a good story. So anyway, the, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things It's like, I don't have another good one, so I'm done. Um, but one of the things I want to remind you of is what Pastor Chase la- said last week about this generation, that they, they struggle with so many things, and so much of it is just support. They need that value. They need that, that care. Um, you know, one of the things he said is that we would serve and love our kids, that we're only one generation away from losing uh, things that we value and things that we want for them, and the people need to step into that. This week at camp, we heard several stories of kids that live in war zones. A young man shared with us that he lives in a home where mom and dad fight all the time, and he said, you know that feeling when you try to inter- uh, intervene in a fight and you try to get in between to make it stop and you're the one that ends up getting hit? He said, yeah, that's pretty regular. And you think, man, I don't know what it's like to live in a war zone like that. I don't know how to relate to what you're going through because even though my upbringing wasn't perfect and I lived in a single parent home and we were poor and we struggled with a lot of things, being hit by my parents is not one of them. This generation is in great need and today we are going to talk about expanding that need of love and care and concern and kindness to the community. God had already laid this message on me. I told our staff several weeks ago where I was heading and then this week's events just bring it to the forefront even more. You guys don't need to go into statistics about what kind of messed up world we're in. We all understand we're messed up. This is not a perfect society. Bernie's kind of got got a nice little bubble around it, and there's a lot of great things, but there's a lot of things that are not beautiful and pretty on the inside. 
But man, we live in a tough world, don't we? We live in a divided world. We live in a place that is so messed up that we can't even really comprehend it sometimes. And so we choose not to a lot of times, just ignore what's going on. But I want to remind you of this statement that Pastor Jason started three weeks ago when he said that we have a missional obligation to care for people. That is the job of the church, a missional obligation to care for people. So I started a couple weeks ago after Pastor Jason laid out the whole series of Head on a Swivel that we're looking and not just focused in tunnel vision, but we're looking for opportunities to love and to serve and to do what God calls us to do. And then that next week, I talked about inside our family or those that are closest to us that we really need to not be looking at what I can do out there, but what I can do in here. And Pastor Chase talked about the generation that could easily be overlooked. And this week, we're talking about just kind of this idea of the world around us needs the love of Christ. Now, listen, there's probably going to be some good politicians somewhere going to be elected in the next cycle or the one after that. But I think we're all pretty much in agreement this next election, we're not getting the answer to our problems. Neither of our presidential candidates are going to bring this country together. It's, it's divided, and you're going to have to have somebody one day that's got some really good power and really good presence that's going to unite some of it, but it's still not the answer. We're always going to be divided along party lines or philosophy of things or sometimes with race or whatever, but no matter what happens in the political system or what happens in our governing system, it all has to start at the heart of the man or the woman or the child that you're trying to minister to. It doesn't happen at the corporate level or the, or, or the societal level or the overall. It happens in the hearts of people. We need a lot of things. There's a guy named Kaz McCaslin who is the creator, founder of Upward Sports. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's, it's a pretty cool system on teaching kids basic sports but teaching them character while you're doing that. It's not really designed for the future great athlete. It's really designed more for kids that just want to have fun in soccer or basketball or cheerleading or whatever the sport would be. But, but Kaz has this calling upon his life. He says this, there is a race for the hearts, minds, souls of our kids, and the first one there wins. Guys, that's the truth. That's true for all of us. There's a battle raging for the hearts and souls of the world. And the Bible tells us that it's set up against God himself that has our best and Satan who has our worst. There is a battle for the hearts and the souls for people in this world. And whatever message gets there first will win that battle and control that heart. And it needs to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like what Chase said last week. He said there's a couple of things that stood out to me. He said if we prayed more and complained less about this generation we'd probably make a difference in their life. We're too busy cursing this generation to bless them. I think that's true for all of us in every area of life. I think we're super busy complaining and worrying and being frustrated and being angry and protesting and protesting the protesters. And, and you know, I just think that we spend all of our time on the negative. And the call of the gospel is that we would spend the time on the positive. Now listen, I, I feel like I need to qualify this. There is time for force. There is time for authority. There is time that sometimes you cannot offer kindness. You have to offer discipline. A bully very rarely ever stops when you tell them you love them. Rarely they go, oh, okay, well, I'll stop bullying. you got to control the behavior sometimes and then work on their heart. So there are times that you cannot, this isn't just a sweet little Pollyanna message of, hey, love everybody and it'll all be good. Or as our government said recently, the terrorists, if you would give them jobs, they would quit killing people. 
Okay, that's a silly statement, but in the basis of truth, there is something about they live in a society that's got no boundaries, no rules, no structure, no future, no hope, and so they're mad at everybody, and so they take it out on people that have something. And so there is some basis that we've got to win the hearts and minds of people, but sometimes you have to use force to stop their movement of what they're doing. Tell you a little bit about me. I was raised in a very, very impoverished home. My parents divorced when we were really young. Didn't have much money when, the, when mom and dad were together. But after mom and dad were gone, we lived on my mom's teacher's aid salary. Four kids trying to make it on not much money. But I was taught from my mom from day one in our home that we do not focus on what we don't have. We focus and appreciate what we do have. And even though we don't have what some of the neighbors can have and their new bikes and their really cool stuff and whatever in today's age would be, the technology, you may not have that, son, but, but there's people in the world that don't have what you have, a house to sleep in, an air conditioner that runs most of the time, a hot water heater that stays on most of the time, food on our table. There's people around the world that don't even have that. And so in my home, not because of me, but because of my parents, they focused on what we did have to have appreciation, not on what we should have because somebody else has it. But one of the key elements in my life has always been the underdog should be defended. Now, I don't know why God didn't make me just a big, brutal guy that could fight for everybody. And, you know, I was just great, you know, strength, Chuck Norris kind of guy. And I could right every wrong and I could stop every injustice. I was only really good with my words. I could talk my way out of fights and calm people down. But man, if we got into a fight, it was going to be over. It's going to be two hits, them hitting me and me hitting the floor. That was about the best chance I got. But one of the things that I have always had in my heart is the desire to make peace when there's conflict. And as I grew in Christ, I realized that was a God-given, ordained part of my DNA is that we would try to make peace. Listen, I don't want to get into politics and who's right and who's wrong but man, there's a lot of things that are going on and people protesting the streets. A lot of people that are in that protest in Dallas that didn't even know what the, the march was for. I mean, they just say, hey, there's a march and I'm mad and I'm going to hold a sign. And you talk to this guy and he says, this is why we're here. And the next person's completely opposite. And let's just march because we're so mad. I have compassion for that. If I felt oppressed and pushed down and unheard, I want to fight to the top. I want somebody to listen. This is not right. Now, I'm not getting into right or wrong. I'm just saying, let's understand that they're frustrated. They want to be heard. Let's listen. Let's have those conversations. Because here's what Satan wants. The devil is in the dividing business. He hates compassion. He battles against good. Just think, in this epic movie, Satan is played by a character that is really nice looking. He has got all the right words. He's got all the right moves. He is the star of the show, but instead of being the good guy that we like to cheer for, he's the bad guy that is destroying everything. But most of the movies we watch, the bad guy is unattractive. They're deformed. They're, they're messed up. And we just automatically, it's characterized in such a way that we just want to hate them immediately. That's the way it's written. But the Bible says that Satan will look like he has got something good to offer. He looks like he's doing the right things. He looks like he's going to be helpful. But all along, his motive is to kill, steal, and destroy, to divide. And I would even pose the situation that in this room right now, 
that if we were to call out two or three words and two or three kind of scenarios, and we said, everybody that believes this, go to this side of the room. Everybody that believes this, go to this side of the room. There would be people on both sides of the room. That even in this room, we don't fully agree on a lot of things. But the thing that we have to agree on today is this. The devil is out to destroy. He's out to divide. He's against good. He wants nothing for you to work out. As a matter of fact, I told one of our students this week that had a friend that committed suicide. I said, if we could see in the realm of darkness, Satan would be dancing at that funeral. He is on that coffin jumping up and down going, I got one. That was a victory for me. And he would just be so delighted in a life being taken. He was dancing in Dallas this week when officers were getting shot. He rejoices in our demise. But we were not designed as a church, the body of Christ is not designed as a defensive weapon. We're an offensive weapon. We are told to take the good news of Jesus Christ out into the streets, to our neighbors, in our communities, to surrounding areas, to our state, to our nation, and to the world. We're not given a passive sit back and wait. The order is get out and do. As I told you a couple weeks ago, we are so easily divided. We are so easily distracted. And we're so easily taken off course. Because even what I've already said, many of you are like, yeah, you're right, man. It's overwhelming. (sighs) What do I do now? Number one, no matter what you do in your best power, it's only temporary at best. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. People have said since we've been in town for about 18 months here in Bernie, people have found out I'm at 1910, they're like, oh, I love your church. And I'm like, oh, really? Who'd you meet? They're like, no, just like the building and and the gathering. I've been to worship. Hey, that's just an activity. The church is the people. The church isn't this fabulous campus. It's not the great music or even the great messages that Pastor Jason brings. That's just part of us, the church, uniting together. I remember years ago when we were in youth ministry, when we were in San Antonio the first time in the 90s, I'd go to campuses and I'd say, hey, I'm the youth minister over here at Thousand Oaks Baptist Church, and um, I'd like to get permission to be able to come on campus and eat lunch with some of our students. And time and time again, I got rejected by the principal that looked at you and said, we don't allow people to come on campus. And I'd say, listen, I'm only going to sit with my kids, my students from my church, and you know, I I won't be talking about God to anybody, just just hanging out and, no. We don't, we don't do it. I just want you to know, the principal would say this, I just want you to know, I'm a deacon at the Baptist Church, da 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 down the road, but I just feel like it's crossing the lines of church and state. Then we went to Madison High School in Northeast School District, and the principal, who was a proclaimed not follower of Christ, but a pretty good principal, she looked at me and she said, hey, you're on, you can come anytime you want. Anything that makes our students better is allowed. Anybody that's here to help me help the students, come on, bring them. Because our students are so messed up, they need adults like you in their lives. And you're like, wait a minute, how come the Christians are over here shrinking back and are afraid they're going to get in trouble for their faith and won't let us come on and help students? And those that are not believers are like, come on, we need all the help we can get. Because Satan has allowed us to be defeated. He's allowed us to play defense and to fall back and say, oh, I don't know, I don't want to get in trouble over any of that. I want to do the right thing. Listen, I love this statement. It came to me last week when Pastor Chase was preaching. What if we lived with fewer offenses? Now, I understand the purpose of offense. If you've got livestock, you need to keep them in. I understand if you have a pool in the backyard, there's 
reasons not to let people just crawl in the backyard and jump in your pool anytime. And, and, and I get it. So I said fewer, not none. But just in the sense of neighborly care, what if we had less fences and more front porches? Once if we didn't, what if we didn't get inside our cage or inside our castle and raise the drawbridge and hold everybody else out? I love the comedian the other day I saw on Facebook, just this little clip, and he talked about, you remember when you wanted people to visit and somebody rang your doorbell and everybody jumped up and they're so excited. Somebody's at the door and like you're getting stuff and straightening up the den and, and somebody's running to the front door and you're all, you know, getting all ready like this. Now what do you do? Pull down the blinds, scoot over to the side, don't put your face in the, in the uh, you know, the, the eye hole so they can't see the shadow. We act like we're not home and you hear them knocking going, hey, your cars are there. I'm sure you guys are here. Shut up. Don't say a word. Because... Satan has convinced us to go into our castle, into our safe place, and enjoy it for ourselves instead of going and doing what he wants us to do, what God wants us to do. Galatians chapter 5, it's all going to be on the screen for you, but I just love this passage, starting in verse 13. He's talking to believers, so he says, you brothers and sisters were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. I love this passage, and I had a comment from a student several years ago. It said, listen, love your neighbor as yourself. I hate myself, Kyle. How does that apply? I don't like anything about me. I'm insecure. I don't like to look at myself in the mirror. I feel like a failure all the time. I don't even love me. How do I love my neighbor? The passage is particularly talking about how you take care of you. We should take care of our body and not do dumb things and fall off rock ledges, chasing junior high girls in a game of tag. We, we should watch out for what we do. We should protect and, and care for this so that we are in good health so that we can be useful in the kingdom. Because if we don't take care of the body and the vessel that God has given us, then we're incapable of doing the ministry that he calls us to do sometimes. I got a thousand stories from camp and they all keep coming to mind. I want to tell you, but I'm not going to have time this morning, but... There's just been some amazing things this week, and just briefly, we had a young lady that has some motor skill limitations, and so the carabiner, when you're on the ropes course, you know, it's that kind of, um, I don't know, oval-looking thing, and it's got the little clip, and you got to turn it, push it in, and unhook it. When you're on the ropes course, you, you put that on at the bottom, and you get up, and you got to take it off as you're shifting from one element to another, and she couldn't master that. So she wasn't going to be able to go on the ropes course, yet she was willing, she just physically was unable to perform in that situation. So her dad was there and said, hey, what if we got her to the end down here at the zip line and they can hook it all in for her and they can send her down? And it was like, great. So we asked the staff and they said, well, the only way to get there is we have to hoist you up by hand. There's no way to get up there otherwise because everybody else is going down this system of elements. And so they were like, hey, we got a couple of staff members. We'll do that. And it wasn't enough to be able to pull her straight up in the air. So a bunch of our kids that were there encouraging her grabbed the rope and pulled so she'd get up to the top. And you're like, this, these, most of these kids did not know her very well before they were with her at camp and decided, hey, we want to help her. If you're not physically able to perform sometimes, God can't use you in the way that he wants to. So we need to love our neighbor as we are supposed to love ourselves. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So 
Here in just a minute, we're going to show this, that if you're walking in the Spirit of God, you don't need rules and boundaries because you're doing the right things. The law is not necessary. So it says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus are crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying of each other. Key part of today's message. We have to understand the distinction between our flesh, our selfish desires, our sinful desires, what is best for me, and live by the Spirit, which is best for everyone. So it's not a sacrifice you have to give up what's good for you. You just have to give up what's selfish for you. It's not that you got to take on ashes or, or sackcloth and ashes and you got to do things to punish yourself and you got to make yourself miserable and you got to give up anything you enjoy. You just simply say, others before me is what God desires. What can I do to maybe sacrifice what I want for what God wants and it'll always be for your benefit and those that you serve? It's a very, very important point, and it's so hard to do. But listen, if we were selfish living, we would be the best neighbors that anybody's ever had. You would mow their yard, you would pick their weeds, you would allow their ball to be thrown over your fence a hundred times, and you always give it back. You're not the grumpy old man that says, hey, get off my grass. You're not trying to manicure it in such a way that you don't want anybody to touch it. You can drive by and observe, but you're not allowed to touch. We'd be sacrificial. We'll do whatever we can to make you better. Best neighbors would be selfless livers. Best students in the class. Every teacher would say, man, I, have a, I hope I have a classroom of Christians this week, this year. Every kid in my class be a Christian would be the best year of teaching of my life. May the best bosses, the best employees, the best moms and dads, the best children. I remember this visual after seeing some of the, the footage from Dallas the other day. It just reminded me on September 11th, actually watching things live, but uh, uh, more so after it was over, all the different footage cameras and stuff that you had, of watching thousands of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people running out of the World Trade Center while hundreds and hundreds of first responders were running in. Most of them did not come out alive. But their focus was never on, how do I get to safety? Where is the safest place for me to stand and still offer first responding? Their focus was, my job as a first responder is to help people in need, and there are people in these buildings that are in need. I will run to the fire. We honor heroes in our country. We acknowledge goodness. We love an epic movie where the, guy, the good guy ends up, even though he's killed 175 people with nine rounds in a pistol, we still honor the fact that he was able to do extraordinary things, and we cheer the hero at the end, because we know that's what God created us to be, heroes of the faith, that we would be those first responders to the world that needs us. The question I have for us today is, are you and I rescuing, or are we waiting to be rescued? Are we in the rescuing business, 
Or are we waiting for someone to come and rescue us? Now listen, you may not be in a place emotionally or spiritually that you can be the rescuer right now, and that's okay. The church needs to rescue you while you're struggling. And the reason we do that is not just for your benefit, but so that you will get well and you'll rescue others. We need to rescue those people that are around us. We need to rescue those neighbors that are struggling. We need to go and be the people to rescue the world with the good news of Jesus Christ that nobody else is going to be able to do. Another statement I wrote down was this. Don't be an abdicator of your role and responsibility. Don't give it up. Don't relinquish what your responsibility is. Don't abdicate your role as a rescuer. Embrace it. God has given you the message of reconciliation, of hope and love. But sometimes I just have this visual picture in my head that we're so busy carrying our junk, our wounds, our mishaps, our disappointments, our betrayals that someone's done to us, our wounds, and our hands are so full and somebody says, hey, can you help me? And you're like, uh, not really. Can't really help you right now. Kind of got my own stuff. Not that none of these things are valid, but if we're so busy carrying our own, we can't carry somebody else's. So I encourage us to get on a path of healthy. Get to a place where we can make a difference. We need to learn what God has for us and then do it, and then teach other people how to do it. Because it's going to be a multiplication process of life change in this society, in this world that we live in. It's going to be you and I deciding to do it first, finding somebody else that will do it with us so we've multiplied already, finding, them finding somebody. Because here's the deal. If I were to disciple one guy this next year, and then in the next year he and I both do it, there's two, and you keep doing that process of multiplication, we'll be at a million something in 15 years. One person discipling one person, then the next year two and two, four and four, eight and eight, and so on. It goes from small in the first few years to ginormous in 10 or 15 years. Listen, I'm going to give you one illustration before I give you a couple applications and we wrap up. Orphans around the world. The number of orphans around the world that we know of is about one-third of the American, about one-half of the American population. 300 million people in America estimated somewhere between 150 and 170 thousand, 170 million orphans in the world. We have 2.2 million people on this planet that claim to know Christ. Now we know all of them are not fully devoted. There are many that are just observing by name or whatever. But just think for a second that every day 5,760 children are born as orphans. That's approximately 250,000 children are adopted annually. But there's 14, new, 14 million new orphans every year. Let me say that again. We adopt 250,000 and we've gained 14 million each year. And out of those, about that same number that are born into it are aged out of the adoption era. So they've got to that age, depending on where you are, 16, 17, 18 years old, and they have to come out of the adoption system where they're in known sight. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but over 70% of the boys that graduate out or age out of adoption, uh, of orphan uh, status, 
About 70% of them will become hardened criminals. 60% of the girls will become prostitutes. <laughs> Guys, that's not okay. We've got kids in the Bernie bubble that are struggling every day. We've got orphans all around us. We've got a world that's fighting amongst itself, falling apart. Do they need better politicians? No. They need the love of Christ demonstrated in all of us as Christians. We don't need a revolutionary leader. We already had that. His name is Jesus. We just need Jesus' followers to do what they're supposed to do. So a couple application things that I thought about that might be helpful. Every day we need to be looking at ways that we can serve people around us. Every day. Make it your goal this week. Not a single day goes by that I haven't found a way to serve. So side note, for just a second. I know I'm running out of time. If you guys know who Rick Turnbill is, he's one of my heroes. Rick went to camp with us this week, and we were doing this pretty significant hike for most people. Not for a real hiker. They could do it in 15 minutes. Teenage boys can run it up in about 15 minutes. Older guys would take a little bit longer because I was helping the girls. So um, this is before I got hurt. But in our team, we had a young man that was wheezing really bad at the halfway point. And I didn't know, I wasn't comfortable trying to push him any further. I felt like he probably reached his physical peak. That, that was all he was going to be able to do. And at the same time, we had two or three girls that had already said, I'm too tired and, oh, my knee and I'm getting a headache and, you know, just all these, I'm not feeling good. And Rick said, I'll stay behind and get this guys. I'll see if we can get them to the top. And as we're getting ready to leave, I hear those girls hearing the young man saying, I don't think I can make it. And they immediately changed their tune and said, you know what? We can go a little bit further. We'll go as far as you can. So they all changed, got healed from their elements, and they all got together and encouraged. And about 20 minutes after the rest of us reached the peak, here comes Rick Turnbill and his gang of four that he took from the middle of the hill to the top of the hill. And the victory those kids had in their hearts was enormous. Rick served those kids so well. I'm encouraged by that and inspired. I want to do that. Kindness and generosity are our motives. We're not doing it for anybody to think we're great. We're not doing it for 1910. We're not doing it for, I mean, if you want to say it's for anybody, you can say it's for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But man, we just do it because we want to be kind and generous. If our church can't change the world, who can? Seriously, think about this. Throughout time, has any one human being or group of people ever really made a significant impact to make us a better world? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me end on this statement. Let's be the agents of change. Let us be those people. Not waiting for anybody else to do it. We're not waiting for another church to do it. We're not asking another denomination to do it. We're not asking anybody else. We take the mantle of responsibility and say, I will be an agent of change. My head is on a swivel. I'm paying attention to what's around me. I'm not just focused on me and mine and what I want and what's not fair and what's injustice, but I'm going to be an active part of solving the injustice of the world because God has called me to do that. I want you to stand with me and our ministry team to come forward. We say this every week. If you have a need or a desire for someone to pray with you or you have something you need to share with somebody, our prayer ministry team is up here at the front. And as we dismiss here in just a minute uh, and, and you want to pray with somebody, you come forward while everybody else is going out. And if you're a first-time guest, would you come over to the garage on the other side of the atrium and meet our staff? I'm going to try to get there. I may be a little slow, but I'll be over there in just a minute. Uh, I want to shake your hand if you're a guest of ours. Thank you for coming. Let's pray. 
Father, do not let us spend another day in mediocrity as a follower of Christ. Count us in the army of world changers. We're going to change the relationship with our neighbor next door. We're going to fix the relationship with a guy down the street. We're going to repair the problem that I have with somebody at work. We're going to be agents of kindness and generosity in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we're going to live in the spirit, not in the flesh. God, I pray that be true for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.